0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network. ChristianHumanist.org I have got so much to give I swear I do I may not have nine lives But this one feels brand new
1: Yes, I've lived a good one. I've tried to be true. There are some things I never realized
0: till I met you how the wind feels on my cheek.
1: Welcome to Before Their Life ongoing. Conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, doing our best to play a part in the healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom. Hopefully, along the way, we enrich the viewing experience, have some fun too. Today, we're road tripping through the 48th film in the canon, which was 2008's Bolt. This movie started life as the next Chris Sanders movie after Lilo and Stitch. At that time, it was entitled American Dog, and it was about a Hollywood dog that gets lost in the desert with a one-eyed cat and a radioactive rabbit. Uh, But with the arrival of John Lasseter and Ed Catmull from Pixar, that movie was deemed, quote, too quirky for its own good. And so instead, we get the first movie in this revival era of Disney, which is directed by a couple newbie directors at the time, Chris Williams and Byron Howard both of whom ended up on the Disney Story Trust, and both of whom are credited with creative leadership on pretty much all the Disney films moving forward. Byron just directed Encanto, which is the very latest in the canon at the time of this recording. And hello to any distant future listeners, (laughs) that isn't true. And uh, even though Chris Williams left Disney in 2018, he was still credited with additional story as recently as 2021's Raya and the Last Dragon. So all that to say, definitely we see the beginning of a new or revived creative trajectory at Disney with this movie. So joining me as always to talk all this over is Michael Farmer from the network. Professor, I'd like to thank you for granting us access to that labyrinthian mind of yours.
0: Uh, You're welcome, you degenerate creature of darkness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's me. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) what'd she say i'm sick of myself or something
0: (laughs) Uh, you know it's the most relatable line in any movie
1: (laughs) i can't even stand myself (laughs) or whatever she says (laughs) yeah pretty uh pretty funny pretty pretty good movie definitely not uh quirky i know we're 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 along quirky fans but it's it's pretty uh Pretty straightforward, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> as a movie.
0: You know, well, we talked one... we talked for a long time about the near miss era. This is to me kind of a near hit. Mm. It just it just barely it just barely hits. It's it's a you know I, I like this movie, but there's a lot about this movie I don't like. And I, I wonder what I would have thought of the original plan for the movie when it was American Dog. I wonder if I would have liked it more or less. I don't know. It certainly would have been quirkier.
1: Yes, it definitely would have been quirk- quirkier.
0: Um yeah, we definitely
1: we, we we've talked about this on the show. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but like we we're moving away here from the uh the the single director vision um wh- with all its quirks and and weirdness and going to um going to this more uh brain trust vision, which is the way that the the Pixar movies mostly are. Yeah. Um at at disney they called it the story the disney story trust rather than the brain trust i guess just to get you know a little bit of separation but but there is a little bit more um i don't know it just it it just hits certain beats the way you would kind of expect it to you know as a as a movie
0: it's hard to say what you think about that right because uh, you know, I'm I'm accustomed to thinking of things that come from the mind of one person as being better than things that come from committee. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, there's no doubt that something like the Robinson's, I'm certain, was improved by being submitted to the committee. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. Bolt probably was, too, given what I've read about the original. And yet, I can't help but feeling that we lost something... Uh, in the in the move from individual to committee on this movie right
1: yeah I think I think it's personally I, I feel like there's a little bit of a you know maybe you get higher highs and lower lows <laughs> when it's the individual whereas the uh, the committee approach you're 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 kind of guaranteed a certain level of you know a certain level of 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 quality or something, but I don't know. It could be, I mean, I think it, it is, it's like you said, it's hard to pick between them. It's just two different approaches to creativity. And um, yeah, for sure. Like I'm a fan of collaboration and things like that. You know, if you have the right people coming together, you know, you could be greater than the sum of your parts type thing. So,
0: well, and also it's hard to look at, Pixar in 2008, which had, had never made a bad movie, right, mm-hmm. and say, oh, well, obviously those people don't know what they're doing, and we should hand things over to the studio that brought us home on the range and Chicken Little. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can certainly understand if you're working for Disney in 2006, 2007 when Bolt is being developed saying, uh, okay, yeah, let's do whatever Pixar tells us to do because obviously they have something that works. And I hesitate to call it a formula, right? Because the, the Pixar movies do not feel formulaic to me. Each of them seems of a piece with itself, but you're right. There is a kind of formula. is not the right word. There's a kind of process that, that Mm -hmm. Pixar always uses. Yeah, I think that's right. The process,
1: the process is different. And the, and, and in in fairness to to both possible creative ends, you know, like I think the Disney pre uh, pre the Pixar merger wasn't being run by a bunch of like creative auteurs or whatever, you know, who are, you know, and, and suddenly their creativity has been. Um stifled by this committee approach, I think it was also a committee approach beforehand, but the committee wasn't made up of the creative people. The committee was the execs <laughs> we have yes. liked to um to you know to to bash on this show you know they get they've got they've taken plenty of knocks on this show but like yeah I think there is a there is a difference there too when you have a bunch of creative you know fellow directors, fellow story writers in a room who are hashing out on your story to make it the best it can be, and you have uh you know people who are only concerned about the finances or the uh
0: yeah how's it going how's it
1: going yeah merchandising how's it going to play for certain audiences like that sort of thing how are we going to bring this into
0: the theme parks yes
1: that's a, that's a very different sort of committee yeah right? these
0: are not these are not creative decisions right right yeah so so, yeah. It's just the two in that near-miss era, or whatever you want to call it, the Dark Age, the, the two that we liked so much were Emperor's New Groove and Lilo and Stitch. And both of those do feel so individual in a way that Bolt just doesn't. Mm-hmm. But, obviously, Bolt is much better than Atlantis or Treasure Planet or Brother Bear or Dinosaur. So, I, I guess I guess the question... I mean, you, you brought this up. You have the higher highs and lower lows. Is it better to have... Um, is it better to have a kind of sure B or is it better to risk an A or a D? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the question for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and I mean, maybe I, if I were in charge of a, of a multi-billion dollar a company making these movies, I think I would probably go for the sure B too. Like, yeah. Okay. no, nobody's favorite movie is bolt like bolt is not a movie that is going to uh make history it's not something that people are going to be talking about a hundred years from now people have already more or less stopped talking about it right like do you when's the last time you heard anybody say anything about bolt and yet nobody dislikes bolt the rotten tomatoes rating is in the the low 90s i think like it's a it's a movie that pretty much everybody agrees is pretty good Mm
1: mm-hmm do you have a feeling though, like as you say that like I feel like we've kind of hit an era of that's what we expect from our movies, like they're yeah they're pretty good and they're very forgettable, you know like and and I don't know it could be you know it could just be my stage of life honestly like it it could be just a different thing, but like I feel like when I was a kid you know i we've we, i mean we've rehashed i mean i'm you know i'm a Everybody knows my favorite movies, <laughs> you know, on this show. but like you watch, you know, you, we, like I just absorbed them and like lived in them. Like it was my imagination place, you know, and uh, maybe that's the same for kids today with like the Marvel movies or the Pixar movies or whatever. But like, I don't know, as an adult, like as I, as I view them, it's just it it sometimes often just feels like, yeah, that that was a great ride and I'm going to not remember anything about it in a month from now, you know?
0: Okay. So we, we have dumped on Michael Eisner for what, a year and a half now on this show. And, mm-hmm. and so the time has come to dump on Bob Iger instead, who, <laughs> who became Disney CEO in 2005. So as we all know, Lassiter at the time, Bolt, he's the head of animation. Iger is the head of the entire company and is until it was relatively recently, right? It was like 2019. Yeah, that he stepped down. Oh, no, he said he was going to step down in 2019, but he actually steps down at the end of this year. So, today. (laughs) We're recording on New Year's Eve. Um, Oh, really? He's just now stepping down? I think that's correct. Or maybe it was earlier this year, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, so Iger is is CEO for the last 15 years of Disney, and and it's... It's under Iger that Disney goes from being like an entertainment company to the entertainment company, to, to where they own everything. They own 20th Century Fox. They own Marvel. They own Star Wars, Lucas Lucasfilm. They own the, the Muppets, although I think Eisner bought the Muppets. They own everything that you look at on Disney+, Plus, right? Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're, you know, something like 30 40% of mass cult entertainment that's being put out is coming out through Disney under one form or another, right? That's Iger. Iger, um, to me, is an even less appealing figure than Eisner. I think Eisner made a lot of stupid decisions. He had a lot of bad taste, but at least he had taste. Iger is the one who's responsible for all the live-action movies. And I heard an interview with him, and he said, Yeah, uh, we always know that the live-action movies are going to make money. And we always know that Star Wars is going to make money, and we always know that Marvel is going to make money. So pretty much, we're not going to make anything but those because they're guarantees. Mm-hmm. And and to me, I don't know. Walt Disney himself gets uh, uh, mythologized a lot, right? And I, I we've we've contributed to that, I'm sure. I don't want to do it too much, but to me, there is something very contrary to the adventurous, experimental spirit of Walt Disney in bob Iger, and i i find him while the the company's stock has gone way up since 2005 i find him to be absolutely disastrous for the kind of creative soul of that company and because disney owns so much of uh entertainment in the 21st century like the soul of the soul of mass cult mass cult is the dwight mcdonald term for pop culture matt he won't even call it culture uh, so, so much of pop culture is is kind of beholden to the spirit of a pencil pusher like bob Iger, and the guy who's replacing him who i can't remember what his name is now is apparently just his right hand man so i don't expect anything different from him either so i i expect the the, the continued future of Disney brand pop culture to be kind of dreary. And yeah. just the way you're talking about, right? Because the whole point is not to try to make something great. It's to put out a sure thing. Right. Which I find yeah. just profoundly depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, if I were a shareholder, I, you know what I, you know what I mean? If I had $500,000 of Disney stock, I'd probably love Bob Iger cuz <laughs> I'd be richer than I'd ever been in my life. Right.
1: But yeah, but that's the thing. Like there's, there's different types of richness, right? (laughs) Like you'd be more financially wealthy, but like, has your, uh, I don't know. I I don't want to, again, I don't want to mythologize it too much. I I, I guess the whole point of this show, especially early on, we were questioning, you know, with, with every episode, like how how did these movies shape our imaginations, you know? And it seems like in some ways they've, they've abandoned that, (laughs) you know, like they're not interested in shaping your imagination as much as just, you know, uh, making, taking your money.
0: And maybe they never were. I, you know, this is, this is why I said there's a lot of mythology around Walt Disney and it's hard. It's hard to really get a read on who he was and what motivated him because most of we, I don't know if you've been watching that series on Disney plus, um, behind the attraction. I have not. No, it's interesting. It's about how they make the attractions at Disney World. I know you've not been to a Disney park, so that doesn't matter as much to you. But it, it is interesting. But my goodness, the hagiography of Walt Disney on that show is staggering. So yeah, and and part of it's got to be true. Like he was cl- clearly a creative person. He clearly had a, a lot of big ideas. He clearly cared about things like, um, you know, teaching children and and shaping imaginations, as you say. But also, you know, he was a businessman. <laughs> he did plop his name right there in that theme park right so I, I don't know i don't know how much we we really want to hold him up as the counter example but it, it 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 does seem to me that Iger and maybe his replacement who i just found out is bob chapek um maybe they take it really to the extreme in the one direction so in some ways i, I kind of long for eisner who at least had some sort of vision even if it was frequently a stupid vision You know, when I think of Eisner, I always think of, we've probably talked about this before, the the attraction, the Enchanted Tiki Room at, at Disney World got revamped in like 1993 to be the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management, which is this very 90s, totally extreme, sarcastic, ugly version of the attraction hosted by Iago and Zazu. Mm-hmm. Which is stupid. It's awful. It's <laughs> when it caught on fire, Disney I think was very happy to just discard it and go back to the original, which is you know wonderful and corny. But at least he's at least he's taking a risk. You, mm-hmm. know, you know what I mean? Like, it, like that that's a horrible idea, but at least it's an idea. It's not just well, you know this uh, this sells merchandise, so let's keep doing it. Right. Yeah,
1: and that's the thing I think you know, hot, uh, hagiography or whatever that I, I never, I never know how to pronounce that word correctly of Disney aside. Like he was definitely always running his company, nearly bankrupt, <laughs>
0: you know, like right. he was always taking risks. There's, so, there's like, something kind of punk rock about, um, about Walt Disney in that sense. Right. They the kind of do it yourself. It's a kind of like, right. uh, minute our band could be your life. Uh, Approach to creative decisions, man. How much would the Minutemen hate it if they heard me compare them to Walt Disney? But I mean, <laughs> I, I think in that sense they they do kind of jam Econa just like just like Disney did in the early days. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So there is that that aspect that that I think. Like you said, it, it, it gets lost. Friend of the show, uh Sarai Manning just um she just sent me a, a note recently that said that Bob Iger might actually continue as CEO. Oh good. So <laughs> I knew you'd be excited about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. It was <laughs> yeah. We should probably uh, no. actually talk about Bolt at some point. We, we've talked about it as a as a movie that's uh, that's fine, but we haven't really actually like discussed the things that make it fine and not great. Well, uh, yeah, here's here's our entry in you know like in so in the world of Bolt, there's
1: a t- there's a television show, <laughs> and uh, it's being run by this very eccentric director who has the idea that. Uh, um if the if the dog believes it, the audience will believe it, you know. So uh and then and then uh he gets shoved around by Mindy from the network who wants a more sure thing, you know. <laughs> she's tired of the <laughs> she's
0: so so yeah,
1: is is Mindy from the network
0: Bob Iger? Uh, if she is bob Iger is right about everything because mindy from the network is the only person in the creative life of this show to have any sense whatsoever this is a horrible way to make a tv show it's morally bankrupt right like what they're doing to this poor dog is atrocious but also they have to do everything in a single take including these giant stunts that they don't use stunt people for Mm -hmm. it's it's insane like that that director should be in jail <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> so he's the real villain of the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, who is the villain if not the director? Yeah. Well, that's kind of the
1: fun thing about this movie is there isn't really a like. There's not a classic Disney villain no, that's in the movie at all. You there's know, there's nobody
0: to be thrown from a a high uh a high height.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I see your point there. I, I mean, definitely, like that's, I mean, that's the point the movie is trying to make. You know, like it it it's the the beginning of what I I don't know how to break down the acts of the movie, but you know, at some at some point near the near the later half of the movie, Bolt is basically learning how to be a dog for the first time, and it's what it's Penny's cry from the beginning is like he never gets to be a real dog. You know, like he never gets to experience the full the fullness of whatever dogness is, you know, like, like whatever the um, whatever that 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 form of being is, he doesn't ever get to experience it because he always has to be this this superhero who's not actually a superhero.
0: Right. And yeah, and you get that wonderful sequence in the middle where uh, Mittens, the cat teaches him all the things that dogs do to the mm-hmm. it's the the pop culture, the pop song montage with uh, Barking at the Moon by Jenny Lewis. Mm hmm. The song's a little cute for me, but the um I like the um I like the sequence a lot.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. We all know I'm not a huge fan of those, but this one this one does it well. So I like that. and I like how they they creatively worked it into the road trip, you know? So like he, he's learning how to like dig and bury stuff in the back of a, of a dump truck. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, they're not right. actually
0: stopping. They're always on the road while they're doing these things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fun. Yeah. I thought that was uh, I thought that was a, a, a nice creative sequence in a movie that, I mean, it actually has a lot of, of good action set pieces. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say all the action set pieces are really good. Um,
1: but also they get a little bit of like you know, a different style of animation. They have you know, they have the little hand drawn stuff as they I assume it's hand drawn, maybe it was all done on a computer, I don't know. As they uh, you know, they the they they go across the Waffle House maps <laughs> or whatever it is. I know it's not Waffle House, but <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? In that montage. Yeah, the action pieces are really cool as far as you know, being action pieces. I, I I think this movie, this is where it gets to to kind of have it both ways. Like it, because there's the the television, quote unquote television sequences, you know, which are all super high drama, fast paced stuff. And then there's the reality, which is a little slower paced and, you know, charming and warm and stuff. And it it gets to have both. Like if this movie was actually Bolt, the TV show, I. It would be, you know, probably not not super bearable. <laughs> no, I would
0: not. I would not be interested in in such a movie. In fact, the, I thought the opening action scene could have been five minutes shorter, and I wouldn't have complained about it. Mm-hmm. Nor would I watch Bolt the TV show, even if it were a real dog. Maybe especially if it were a real dog. Especially if I found out how they made the the movie or the TV show. Like that's <laughs> re- truly horrifying. <laughs> You got to wonder, though, that so the, the action scene stops at the beginning because he sees they they see the uh, boom mic in the shot. Uh-huh. And they said, what if the dog saw the boom mic? How would he know what it was? <laughs> like, he, he doesn't think there's a separate world. He, like, he would just think it was part of the of the bad guy's plot. Right. Like, he wouldn't think it was. Oh, I'm obviously on a TV show here because that's a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> But then, I mean, the director's crazy. We've we've discussed that. Oh, yeah. there's Yeah, there's... The the director played with great verve by James Lipton of Inside the Actor's Studio. Mm -hmm. Just just hamming it up. Yeah. Yeah, really well done.
1: But... (laughs) Yeah. You're missing everything, Mindy, in the network. (laughs) Yeah. But you're yeah you're right. There's <laughs> there's definitely holes to be poked in the whole premise, but but it sets us up. You know, it's not really important. I mean, it's important, but it's not important. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like it's important because he has to unlearn all of that. You know, he right. has to to di- he has to discover what the real world actually is. But it's it's a. Uh, it's unimportant in the sense of like even though you can poke a million holes and like there's there's no way they could have these huge set pieces in one take and stuff like that <laughs>
0: you know, like oh, it doesn't it's not really the point of the movie. <laughs> I know, yeah, I, I know. And yeah, I, I I complain a lot about things that are not realistic in these movies and it's a silly thing to complain about.
1: I mean the one that drives me a little crazy is this whole thing happens because they need a cliffhanger but like if you're editing and cutting a thing like you can cut it at any point to make it a cliffhanger right like, it's almost you know, like it's,
0: it's almost like the, the sh- we're supposed to believe the show's shot live yeah or something like that you know and that's how did they, they think they were, were going to be thought... able to get the dog to do what they wanted him to do without her there yeah i don't know <laughs> are there scripts for this show <laughs> There's
1: obviously some sort. I I actually I really enjoy the sequence where so there's the, the first opening sequence is fun, but you don't you don't really know what you're watching yet. Right. They drop you into it. It says five years later. And, you know, as far as you know, she's just picked up this puppy and now this is five years later and this is her life in some ways, you know. Um, Because it hasn't been revealed that it's a television show yet. But then you get the next action sequence where you know it's a television show. And so you see the behind the scenes at the same time of, like, what they're doing. Like, how they melt the gun and, and bend the bars and stuff for the dog. Which I thought was, it was kind of fun. It's kind of fun seeing that, like, I don't know. Behind the scenes at the same time that you're seeing it happen. Yeah. Peace. But yeah, but then anyway. Yeah, so he thinks that, he thinks that, that Penny's actually been kidnapped. Which leads him to go way off script, right? <laughs> like whatever they thought was going to happen, he goes way off script by breaking out of his uh, his trailer and um, going off to rescue Penny, and of course somehow gets shipped across the United States at the same time,
0: which is pretty fun, and manages to survive it.
1: Yeah, there's one moment in there that I just wanted to highlight because uh, when he when he um, is running through the studio. He hears somebody editing the 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 television show, so he hears Penny calling for him, even though it's a recording. And uh, when he when you when you see inside that room, there's a there's like a hula lamp. There's like a hula girl lamp. And I wonder if that's a that's a kind of a bit of a tribute to the the original idea, idea with uh, with Chris Sanders since he did the Lilo and Stitch.
0: Oh, it's got to be right. Yeah. So.
1: That was kind of kind of nice
0: so i felt like um when he gets to new york this movie owes a substantial amount of money to animaniacs oh please explain well you've got the three pigeons who are just the good feathers The same colors and the same voices and everything. I mean, it. It. it, I I guess the. I guess the main pigeon does not sound like. uh, What's the. What's the pigeon's name? It's the. The. Oh shoot, Squib. I think his name is Squib. In in Animaniacs. In Animaniacs. Yeah. He doesn't exactly sound like Squib, but the other one definitely sounds like Bobby, and the other one definitely sounds like Pesto.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I, I mean, I liked the conceit. The the pigeons. In whatever part of the country they're in, sound like the people from that part of the country. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I thought that was funny, but I, I thought, wow, they they should uh, they, they should it's really very... they should really be paying uh, Steven Spielberg some money for uh, for for stealing <laughs> for just st- stealing the good feathers feathers
1: the good feathers. Yeah. Well, that's just how people in New York sound, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't really, Yeah you know. <laughs> Yeah, no. That the the, the pigeons sounding like they're, they're people is a very uh, that's a very rescuers move. Yeah, it is. You know? That's true. Um, which I like. Another yeah, movie I, with a girl named Penny. Totally, actually,
0: now that I think about it. Yeah, that's that's true too.
1: Um, but I t- <laughs> I totally missed the uh, the Animaniacs reference there, which I'm ashamed of. I'm ashamed of myself
0: for not, for not catching that. Maybe you didn't watch as many Animaniacs episodes as there. Oh that. I did. I watched <laughs> it was pretty much a,
1: <laughs> pretty much a daily uh, daily
0: daily viewing in my house. It might be um this might be a good time to talk about the voice acting, which it's mostly um, kind of dedicated voice actors. Great DeLisle plays Penny's mother. John DiMaggio is in this, and, and there, there are some kind of big names, um, especially the, the two principal characters. But for the most part, these are smaller actors uh, who do a lot of voice work, which is cool. Um, this mm-hmm. might be the last Disney movie we see where that's true of. I don't know. Uh, there's there's not a lot of big celebrity casting, uh, with with two exceptions. One is that John Travolta inexplicably plays Bolt. I guess in 2008, they said, you know who the kids love? John Travolta. <laughs> and then the real exception, though, is Miley Cyrus, who was at the height of uh, Hannah Montana fame in 2008, actually came in and replaced the voice track after it had already been recorded. So, um, oh, really? Yeah, I originally Chloe Grace Moretz, who plays her when she's little and who plays the replacement Penny at the end of the movie, she had initially done the whole voice track, and then somebody decided what we need is Miley Cyrus.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: And uh, I have to say that I find Miley Cyrus unappealing on really every conceivable level. Uh, <laughs> she is not, she's not totally ruined this movie for me, but I don't like her. I don't like her voice, and I would have much preferred it to be Chloe Grace Moretz, who I like a lot.
1: Yeah, I don't have anything to say about that because I really don't know anything about Miley or Chloe. That's, a, that's not a part of uh, of Mass Cult, as you, sure. as we called it earlier that I've that I've kept up with at all. Sure, and I'm, a, I'm aware that Hannah Montana exists, right? <laughs> like, I've never seen an episode. I, I haven't touch, I'm glad like, to say. I don't. I have no idea about any of that.
0: That's no, that's nice. good. You've, you've you've made a wise decision, Josh. Don't don't find <laughs> out anything more. I, I you know her performance as Penny is fine. There's there's a couple points where I think it is pretty clear that it's above her pay grade emotionally, speaking. That she's she's not really able to carry, um, as much as she needs to. But then again, she doesn't really need to carry that much because most of the most of the serious emotional stuff is on Travolta and on Susie Essman, who plays Mittens, who I, I think does a fine job. Mm-hmm. Sizzy Essman, probably best known as the incredibly vulgar wife of uh Jeff Garland on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So kind of funny that this is where she uh this is where she ends
1: up. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. Very a very different place.
0: But I yeah, I really
1: like Mittens. I think Mittens is just Yeah, really I mean, really you know, obviously the <laughs> Obviously, Bolt is the main, you know, character that we're meant to be interested in. But I, I feel like Mittens' story arc is really good. Well, he but, he it's... is
0: and he isn't, right? In some ways, um, in some ways, he's not all that interesting a character because he's so stupid. Mm-hmm. But because he he just doesn't he just doesn't understand, and and so she's the one who knows things and kind of walks us through this universe just like she walks them through it. So I, I think, in some ways, her job is more important in the movie in terms of in terms of the voice acting. I'm no particular Travolta fan. I think he does fine here.
1: Yeah, I I I have no problem with with uh, John Travolta in this movie.
0: He does fine. The big problem with the voice acting in this movie, can we agree? Mark Walton as Rhino. Um. Yeah, I, I, I agree.
1: <laughs> I guess he's not really a voice actor. He's like a writer.
0: Yeah, but he's um, he, he's the voice of multiple people in two of the worst movies we've talked about. All in the Range of Chicken Little. <laughs> That's true. And, yeah. and the performances in those movies apparently were not annoying enough, so they decided they needed to give him, you know, a quarter of the lines in bolt. If something sinks this movie or almost sinks this movie, it's him. It's not Miley Cyrus, as Penny, or any of the other kind of silly stuff we've talked about. Basically, every line he gives is excruciating. <laughs> See, I wouldn't
1: go that far. Like, I just, I, I feel like he's the voice is annoying. I agree. He says enough funny stuff, like that. It, it saves it for me, I guess. I still get laughs out of his lines. Uh, a couple of them, were, yeah. I did, I I wish did laugh they were, at a couple of them.
0: I wish they were delivered a little better. When he came on the screen, or I turned a to Victoria better. and said, and the Josh Gad role will be played by? Because <laughs> you, know, you, you know five years after this, it would be Josh Gad playing that part. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I never thought I'd say anything good about Josh Gad, but uh, he would have done a better job than Mark Walton. Yeah. No offense to Mark Walton, who I'm sure is a great storyboard artist. Like, it, it's just he's not, as you said, he's not a voice actor. He's asked to carry way too much of this movie, and it just ends up being insufferable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they play it for a laugh almost when he. I mean, I definitely for a laugh. And I wonder if they meant to play it for a laugh, or if like he just couldn't carry it when he gives um, uh, Bolt his like pep talk. Like it just kind of fizzles out, you know, like it's and and they I think they let it fizzle out to get a laugh. But I, I don't know. It's hard to tell, you know, it's just yeah, it doesn't quite work.
0: It's really too bad that mittens didn't pry that bowl open and eat him.
1: As would <laughs> certainly
0: have happened in real life. Claws <laughs> or no claws. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I think there is something that kind of interesting there though about like his like Rhino's role in the movie. Like so Rhino is this weird like like he's like the fanboy, you know? Like he he believes in Bolt. <laughs> he doesn't know the difference, you know? But like it's kind of what Bolt needs in a weird way, you know? Like he definitely gives the like at two points in the movie like once for bolt and once for mittens, like they've given up on each other or themselves or whatever. And he's the one who keeps them going,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: No, you you need
0: the character. I agree. I agree with that.
1: Like you need the you need the true believer, you know, almost in in a weird way. I don't know. I don't know like how it quite works with like the overall theme of this movie of like trying to find yourself and and discover reality and live in reality and all that sort of stuff. But like, I don't know. There is something interesting about that. Like, you know, that that outside person who says, "Oh, you know," with with Bolt, he says, you know. Like, he reminds him of all the things he's done, even though Bolt hasn't actually done any of them. But it's enough to, like, keep Bolt moving, you know, because he says, you know, you're right about one thing. Mittens needs a hero right now. And so he's going to, even though he, he knows he wasn't actually the hero in all those other instances, he also knows he has the choice to be the hero right now. And so he goes to do it, which is nice. And then on the... With mittens, it's you know I've seen this I've seen this before, you know the hero has to go off and face this thing, but he still needs the support of his of his friends even though he thinks he needs to go do it alone and so and so then that convinces mittens to to continue the trek out to Hollywood
0: right, right. The only other uh, voice performance I wanted to call brief attention to is Malcolm McDowell, who plays Dr. Calico, the green-eyed man, the bad, the bad guy in the Bolt TV show. And he's not mm-hmm. given a whole lot to do, but Malcolm McDowell, who our listeners definitely know, um, he's probably most famous for being um, Alex in A Clockwork Orange, but he's in A Million Things. You've definitely seen him. He has a very distinctive kind of weird face uh he is the perfect choice for that villain because he is, he's so willing to chew the scenery and boy, did they let him uh, chew the scenery in that role. So I i thought that was a nice, uh, a nice piece of casting. And if they made the TV show, Malcolm McDowell is the sort of person they would get to play the villain anyway. So I, uh, I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any opinions about Malcolm McDowell.
1: I don't have any strong opinions about it. I mean you're right that he's a he's a very small part in this movie, but it works it lends credence to the because the the thing is the as I said, said earlier like if if this whole movie was the TV show it, it wouldn't be good you know <laughs> like that wouldn't be good but the there there is a sense in which the TV show like feels right like it feels like a primetime network television action adventure show, you know, like, and, and I think you're right. Like, like having the villain have the right voice and, and, and be eccentric and all that is is part of what, what makes that part of the movie work. So, so yeah, that's good. I'm with you. I, I think, yeah, you're right. Rhino is the one, I wish it was somebody else, you know, who would you have cast in
0: 2008? I don't know. <laughs> you know, who could have done it 10 years before, that, always... but was dead by 2008 is Chris Farley. Oh yeah. Can you imagine well, Chris... Farley as Rhino? That would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah.
1: I always feel like I want it to be like Patton Oswalt or something like that.
0: I think Patton Oswalt's too cynical to be Rhino, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, Oswalt's could... obviously wonderful in um, in Ratatouille and so many yeah. other things. He's hysterical. He's not the person I would. I would think of somebody who's more enthusiastic. I guess. I guess I could see Oswalt doing it.
1: It's probably just because of Ratatouille that I think of him. Honestly, it's probably nothing.
0: That was the well, same and, year, right, and, or the year before? It was right before this. Uh,
1: I don't remember what year it came out. Honestly, I, yeah, you have to look. I think I think the other thing with Oswald is he does do that like super fan. Yeah, that's true. Uh, really well, like he's he's obviously a, a fan boy in real life, and and so he does that that super well.
0: You know who else they could have gotten? And I'm not sure this. As does
1: Chris Farley. I don't
0: know. Who, <laughs> I don't know. If this would have been better than Mark Walton. Actually, is Jack Black? Oh
1: yeah, I could see that.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I, I usually kind of like it when they um, when they get people from within the studio to voice characters. Like in uh, Up, Doug the dog is voiced by some story artist, and mm-hmm. he's he's great, right? Like that's a that's a great part for him. But I think this is just too big a role for someone who is not an actor. Right, I couldn't do yeah, it. Sometimes. I'm not saying I would be better at it. By the way. <laughs>
1: I don't act. That's who I would cast. I would cast Michael Farmer. Yeah, me. <laughs> In
0: 2008.
1: <laughs> no, um, no, but, like, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Like, it is it is fun when it's somebody within the studio, and, like, it's like the scratch track just, you know, worked so well that they decided to just go with it, you know. That's another Ratatouille one. I think the uh, – oh, I forget his name now. The – the human in Ratatouille, like the human, human guy, uh, is also played just by a, by an animator.
0: I haven't seen Ratatouille probably since 2008. So I don't remember that much about it.
1: It's a good one. but it's kind of neither here nor there for this movie. There's not really any. <laughs> <laughs> actually there is. So there's a lot of weird parallels actually, now that we're talking about it. Cause you've got the, uh, the the animator story artist you know doing a doing a pretty major voice part you've got that one um had a had a major director shake up as well um you know they brought in uh they brought in brad bird i think to to do that movie but before that it was jan something or other um it was supposed to be his his movie it was his idea so, yeah, Jan Vinkava. Jan, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. So, anyway, interesting. Interesting parallels. And a talking rodent.
0: Oh, that's true. Well, there's a lot of talking rodents in Disney. <laughs> that's true. Doesn't she call him rodent at one point? I love, one of my favorite things about this movie is the way Bolt and Mittens occasionally just call each other dog and cat. Yeah. <laughs> I think she calls him rodent at one point. I got you rodent or something. When he's um when he's propping the door open with his exercise ball at the end of the movie. Oh yeah.
1: It's a good day to die. <laughs> yeah, so the other thing
0: <laughs> the other
1: funny funny, funny gags with Rhino are the way that like there there's that moment where he's like Mittens is up in the tree and refusing to go down and <laughs> come down. And he says, I'll go get a ladder.
0: <laughs> yes. And then he actually, I think it would have been funnier <laughs> if we had... hadn't seen him bringing the ladder. Just the, the idea that he's going to bring the ladder is, is much funnier than the visual of him actually dragging uh, the ladder. I like both. I like the idea that he's doing it. And the fact that he like shows up pushing the ladder with this ball.
1: <laughs> it's funny.
0: <laughs> and then the,
1: uh, of course the, uh, the escape scene from the, from the pound <laughs> when he's in that dog's mouth <laughs> initiating escape. And he's like swirling around with all the dog slobber. That was pretty great. <laughs> was pretty
0: great. <laughs> Man, that would be so, the yeah. best day ever for the dogs in the pound. Right. If, uh, <laughs> if a hamster <laughs> rolled in on one of those balls, they'd, yeah, you they'd lose their right. minds,
1: mm-hmm. which they did. That's a great scene. Like that's a great little sequence. This when they're when they're breaking out of the pound.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Disney's good at uh, pound scenes, I guess. Between that and the the one in *Lady and the Tramp*, which we love so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they it just—it's so tightly like written. Like it's so like well done because, you know, <laughs> the lady—I don't even know any. I, i'm sure they have names but i didn't i didn't pay attention well enough to to catch them all but like the late the lady who works there you know like um like at the beginning of the scene she says she's gonna mace somebody and then she of course ends the scene by macing that guy (laughs) so it all like it's like bookended well like it's just it's
0: really nice (laughs) really nice yeah and when the um the the gas tank explodes and this thing that should have been a a relatively quiet, they ends up turning into something from his, from his TV show. And it's, it's all part of learning what kind of non super heroic heroism looks like, which is his, his move through this movie, right? Is Mm -hmm. he, he's learning that he can be a hero of a sorts without having to be, um, without having to be the sort of hero he, he was made to be on television. Which is where I think the, the climax of this movie is probably the best part of the movie, um, where he actually has to go save Penny from the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he he's the only one who can do it for whatever reason. The underdog runs away because the director's methods were proven right i guess and and unless the dog believes she's actually in danger it won't do what it needs to do of course it does raise the question of why you would have live torches there and have her actually tied up but what are you gonna do no sprinklers right i feel like i feel like they would be able to retire very nicely on the amount of money they would sue that director for (laughs) <laughs> but anyway well,
1: it's hard to tell if he's even still there at that point because Mindy from the network seems to be running things at that point
0: even better right because then you can get it from the network and not that director anyway um, so he <laughs> he goes and has to save her and he drags her over to the um, to the vent and she looks up and realizes they're not going to be able to get out the vent. And she says, it's okay, just go to sleep. You're a good dog, I love you. Which, I, I, you know, I don't think of this as being a particularly moving movie, but I cried like a little girl at that line. <laughs> so he saves her without actually saving her, right? Like he does everything yeah. he can, and then he does his super bark, and other people have to come save them. So so this this heroism is available to him even though he can't do any of the things that he imagined he could do. And, and so it's so fitting that the movie ends not with him being internationally famous and powerful or whatever, but with the, the birds, not knowing who he is, the country birds, not knowing who he is and um, him living this kind of quiet life with the people he loves. Mm -hmm. I, I found that tremendously effective and, and very moving uh, and and it it made up for a lot of the the kind of stupid stuff elsewhere in the movie i I felt like the last fifteen minutes of this movie were really solid
1: yeah i agree it has a it has a very nice uh a very nice arc there you know like story arc and i i like the way that you phrased it there you know like he's just living a quiet life with with the ones he loves, which you know what else I'm, I'm sure that God calls us to other things, or certain people to other things at times. But I think the the majority, <laughs> you know, call is that you know, like live at peace with those around you. I forget exactly. There's a verse in, uh, oh, it's one of the Thessalonians, I believe, you know, that basically says that, you know, like live a quiet life. Very well, but we peace.
0: must tend our garden, right? Like not the line from, um, from Candide. Yeah. <laughs> probably you know i i there's a there's a passage in in plutarch's uh biography of the ancient athenian lawmaker solon and solon goes to visit croesus who's like this legendarily rich king the the, the phrase richard and croesus still still survives but Croesus is full of himself and says, hey, don't you think, uh, you've you've met a lot of people, don't you think I'm the happiest person in the world? Which is a stupid sort of question. I don't know why anybody would ever ask it. Uh, Like, what are you you expecting people to answer? But anyway, Solon says, no, the happiest happiest person I've ever met is these two brothers who uh, helped their mother get to Temple one day when she couldn't get there and offer the sacrifices. And then uh, had a nice meal and died in their sleep. And and, and, and I, I think that's the the viewpoint this movie takes, which is that it, it's not it's not being famous or powerful or capable of great things, it's living this kind of quiet life where you take care of the people whom you are given to take care of, and that is your that is your happiness in life. That's what makes you happier than Croesus. Hmm. Yeah, which is a very counter counter cultural thing in our in our culture, I think, because. Um, I, I don't know so much about Gen Z. I've asked some of my students and my Gen Z colleagues if this is true, but you know, famously, millennials would rather be famous than rich. There was a there was mm-hmm. a survey that came out. I, I think I wrote an essay about this because I I totally identify with it. Man, I would I would love to be famous. Um, but the the calling you to this life of ordinariness is is in in some ways the most in, in 2008 is is a really um, a really bold thing to call you to, especially when it is it's done through the medium of Miley Cyrus, whose other TV show is all about how great it is to be famous. From my understanding, I've never seen Hannah Montana, but she's a makes- she's a she's a celebrity teenager in that show, just like she's a celebrity right. teenager in real life. So it's it's right. I, in in that sense and in that sense alone, it might have been interesting that they um, they switched out the voice track for her
1: that they cast her. It's like a corrective to
0: <laughs> to, to all the other garbage they filled our world to with. The,
1: yeah. It's always interesting when that happens, right? Because it's not like, yeah, Hannah Montana is obviously directed at the same people that are, you know, watching this movie.
0: It's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> difficult to argue that Disney has really any kind of conscience, isn't it? <laughs> yeah yes you could say that this movie is saying something but the the corporation as a whole i think would probably set all of us on fire uh if (laughs) if they could make 40 bucks off of it like they're they're not our friends that's for sure if they were our friends they would they would volunteer to uh pay us for this podcast (laughs) which they seem unlikely to do now that i've called their ceo a a talentless hack (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe they'll make me the CEO. That'd be risk-taking.
1: <laughs> Here's what we're going to do as a company.
0: I'm gonna, we're we're going gonna to gonna let do, him uh... run our company into the ground. <laughs> sure, he has no training in business. <laughs> or film, animation. He's watched a few of our movies.
1: <laughs> now, you do wonder, though, like, if these like, I, I don't know this is a, this is our world today, you know like these huge corporations and without a conscience you know like if if there was a little more um, you know up there at the you know the the C level you know with the chief chief executives and the the chief business officers and stuff if there was a you know a jiminy cricket <laughs> up there, kind of saying, like, okay, but well, what's the overall message that we're sending to people, you know? And you kind of see that, I think, right now, like, I, I don't know, I don't want to get into the news on this podcast, but, you know, with, with trying to hold different uh, social media companies to account in Congress and stuff, you know, with, like, well, you know, you knew this was bad for people, why do you keep doing it, type thing. So.
0: Well, and and yeah. frankly, though, Josh, we- whenever whenever corporations do develop a conscience, I get even more nervous because usually it's just whatever political positions are trendiest.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I, I I totally agree. I'm not, I, uh, I'm not arguing for that. It is just, it's just, I don't know. It's interesting to me to get back to that kind of question of like, how are these things shaping our imagination? Like, it's not as though we don't have a, have a choice or a role to play in that as well. You know, like We've given these corporations, like, you know, we've given Disney a tremendous amount of power in our lives, you know, um, even if we if we want to just keep it to Disney and not talk about the other ones, you know, like like the the hours that that we've spent, you know, looking watching watching the entertainment that they provided for us, you know, it's I mean I know on the one hand you're right, like you said earlier on, like they they provide what 30 to 40 percent of all our entertainment you know (laughs) like thanks to thanks to their purchases and and the fact that they're this multi-billion dollar company so in some ways it feel you feel uh or i feel like kind of helpless against it it's like well what what am i gonna do you know like that what other options are there but you know I, i think we do have have a choice in what we watch and what we and definitely you know how do we counteract it you know and when when you, when you look at something like bolt and say okay i yes i agree with the message of this you know i agree that i need to live just a quiet ordinary life with the ones i love um how, like how do you let that kind of sink in at a deeper level than something else that may be pressing you to become you know famous or or saying like life is better if you're if you're rich and famous
0: yeah yeah i um yeah, I don't know that I have anything to add to that. It, it and and the the idea of resisting it is just like there, you could do it. Like we could cancel Disney. We'd have to stop doing this show, but we could cancel uh, we could cancel Disney Plus, cancel Hulu, cancel Netflix, and all the rest. And there are mm-hmm. times I'm super tempted to do it. I I, there, I definitely think it would probably be better for our souls if we didn't have those things. If we didn't, if mass cult just stayed out. But on the other hand realistically speaking, am I going to do that? No, I did, I did cancel my Twitter and I've managed to stay off that. So that's something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, yeah,
0: I mean, this is the,
1: unfortunately, like it often, I feel like it often comes down to these like very extreme, uh, choices, which maybe that's not right either. You know, like maybe we need to just rethink that whole proposition because maybe it's not like one or the other, you know, um, like, is it really like? <laughs> I don't know. Is it really sell all your wealth and you know go become poor? Is that the only choice, or is there, you know, is there another way to live? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know.
0: We're also good at uh, self-justification, aren't we?
1: It's true. That, that's, that's
0: that's the, the problem. So if you say something like, "Oh, this is bad for you. Maybe you should give it up," that your your first reaction is going to be. Oh, but here's how I can do it, and it won't be a problem. Right. Yeah, it won't hurt me. <clears throat> I have a podcast about it. <laughs> I think about it. <laughs> so. I don't know. I, I Kind of a downer for the uh, the end of this episode of a movie that we liked okay, right? I mean. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I do.
1: I really do like it. I, I'm not trying to be a downer. I just, I, yeah, I, I, and I... Yeah, I guess it is a downer in the sense of like, well, we don't have an answer for you. Right. You know, but I do I do hope at the very least and maybe this is just my own self justification, but I do hope that at the very least we, you know, we say this is a conversation and an ongoing conversation like and that we're trying to increase like, you know, the we're trying to be part of this ecosystem, you know, and so like hopefully in some ways, just just the fact that we do talk about it provides some sort of. I don't, I don't know if resistance is probably too strong a word, but some sort of like, you know, there's at least a, a small hurdle there before you just let everything just come right into your to your mind and your soul, you know, <laughs> like at least put up a small hurdle and, and
0: think about it a little bit,
1: push back at least that much.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's what a, that's what we get for recording on New Year's Eve. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that whole my 21st, year in review yeah. thing makes me uh makes me question a lot of my choices, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Does Disney does Disney do that? I don't know. I know, like, I get a I get an email from Nintendo that tells me how many hours I've spent on my video games and oh yikes. like, why would they stuff. want
0: to tell you that? Yeah, I don't know. Oh my gosh! Are they are they trying to get you to stop playing video games? <laughs> they might be. Nintendo
1: is a weird company too. Like again, like companies with a conscience or not with a conscience, you know. They really do seem to have a, a certain sense with, especially like with their own properties, where it's like, actually, you know, it's better for you to go outside. You know, <laughs> like they, I think they. I, I, at some points they have little things that pop up If you play for too long on the Switch or whatever It pops up and says You've been playing for a long time Why not take a break
0: So, huh? Netflix used to do that you say, Are you still watching? Yeah Wow Well maybe I should start playing video games again, Josh <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's good for your soul <laughs> I had a dream
0: last night that you. So you know I haven't been on Christian Humanist Podcast all year Because I've, I've been furiously writing lectures Mm-hmm uh, and I had a dream last night that I went back on the show and we did an episode on Double Dragon Two. <laughs> <laughs> I messaged uh, Nathan and David about it this morning tell them about it, and Nathan was like, uh, "I would do that episode in a second <laughs> so something something to consider. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Well, I feel like we have danced around this actual movie a lot. Maybe there's not as much to talk about in the movie as I thought there was. Is there anything else you want to say? Do you want to talk about the music? There's two, there's two songs in it. Yeah, I thought the,
1: well, I think the score is used nicely. I don't know that it's a tremendous score or anything, but like the light motif or whatever, am I pronouncing that one right? I don't know. I never know. I I read these things online and I don't know how to pronounce them. Um, that kind of uh, runs through the movie i feel like when bolts on the screen and is doing something heroic you know like i feel like it they they used it really well um and then yeah the pop songs um i i I, they're, they're fine you know like it's not really the style of music that i i listen to uh frequently but i don't have any i don't have anything against them yeah they're they're fine what, 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 I don't even know what genre you would put that in. What is that? Some sort of, like...
0: Pop rock. Pop, I don't know. Pop rock? I like Jenny Lewis. Uh, her album that came out the same year... or Yeah, it was the same year. Acid Tongue came out in 2008. That's what, I think that's a great album. And um, Barking at the Moon is a minor Jenny Lewis song, to be sure. But it was, it was fine. It was a little cute. The other song, mm-hmm. you know, it is a Miley Cyrus song. She sings it. I find her annoying. I find her voice annoying. And then... Halfway through the song, this man starts singing, and I thought, "Who is that?" And I looked it up, and it's John Travolta, mm-hmm. which of course seems like a bizarre choice, but whatever. <laughs> well, that's what he does. He does duets and movies. That's true. He did uh, "You're the One That I Want" and all that. Hmm. Um, I this, this
1: song is not as good as "You're You're the One That I Want."
0: No, no, that's true. My wife speaking is downstairs of... watching Grease Live on YouTube as we speak, actually. <laughs> um, you know, as far as speaking, the pop songs... of constructing low hurdles. <laughs> the, as, far as, as far as the pop songs from the last ten movies or so, this, these these are better than most of them, right? Like, I would take this over the, uh, the songs from Meet the Robinsons or... Well, mm-hmm. Chicken Little is all established songs, but Meet the Robinsons, right. Brother Bear, stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. These ones are, or the one that, yeah,
1: the egregious one I feel like, and uh, uh, was uh, Treasure Planet, like yes. where the songs just really, yes. really pull you out of the movie. Like these ones, the Johnny Resnick ma- tracks. Yes, these ones completely match the tone of the movie. Like this, is, this is, I mentioned earlier. Like this is a a montage to a pop song that that doesn't bother me. Like it's, you know, it's it's a very I don't I don't know why I, I associate those songs to a pop. Montages to a pop song with Pixar, but, you know, live action movies use them as well. But for whatever reason, I associate them as a, that as a Pixar move. But it works really well. Like Pixar generally does it well and it's done well here, I think. We spoke a little bit about that sequence already. Yeah, I don't really have anything yeah, bad to add I don't
0: need to go back to it.
1: But speaking of Chicken Little, I do feel like there's a direct swipe at Chicken Little in this movie when the uh, when the pigeons at the end uh, are, are are pitching their ideas for the show to bolt. Yes, and, I also and,
0: I also thought that must be that must be a shot at Chicken Little. Yeah, and the idea is aliens, and then with the pop song over it. <laughs>
1: like, I wouldn't have caught that if we weren't watching these movies all in order. That's true. But watching them all in order, I was like, oh, that's a total swipe at Chicken Little. It's got to be. Which is fair enough, because both the directors worked on Chicken Little, so, you know.
0: So even they knew it was a bad movie. Yeah, I feel like, well, (laughs) yeah. That's what you're saying, Josh? No, I
1: enjoyed Chicken Little. I enjoyed it. It is not a good movie. It's not a good movie, but it's, it's worth swiping at. Do you want to say? Do you want to say anything about Bolt's uh, epistemological crisis? As we live through an epistemological crisis. Oh, that he's not country.
0: sure who he is, and what? Well, and it is—it is a kind of fake news movie, right? Like the reason he doesn't know who he is is because he's been told who he is by the media. Mm-hmm. But he's not even aware they're media. He—it's—it's it's a real "this is water" situation, right? Where the fish doesn't know he's in the water because he's in the water. Right. Yeah, maybe yeah, that's maybe that's where about. we all are. <laughs> have you been yeah. red-pilled josh <laughs> i don't even know what that means i'm not i'm not really sure either or black-pilled i know that's a thing too and i don't really know the difference between being red-pilled and black-pilled
1: huh. i mean i assume that the red pill is a is an allusion to uh the matrix i think that's but... right i don't remember which it's been too long since i've seen that movie i don't remember which pill is the good one i guess it's the blue one I don't know. The blue one wakes you up to reality?
0: I think the red one wakes you up to reality. I think being red-pilled means that you have woken up to reality. Oh, okay. This is red a better Pills. movie than The Matrix, by the way. I'm going to go ahead and make that stand. I hate The Matrix. <laughs> Listeners who want to find out how much I hate The Matrix can go listen to our the Christian Humanist podcast episode on The Matrix from a few years ago. I hate that movie. I think I think that movie is a turd. I think it's super overrated.
1: Yeah. Speaking of movies I haven't seen since 2000. Gosh, what movie did that come out? Nineteen
0: ninety-nine. Ninety-nine,
1: yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we'll let that one. We'll let that one just stay a turd somewhere.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, up next we have the Princess and the Frog. Yeah, we're back to traditional animation, briefly, very briefly,
1: <laughs> very briefly. Unfortunately, very briefly. A movie I saw still, in
0: the theater and haven't watched since then. Yeah. So I look forward to uh, hearing what you have to say about it, Josh.
1: Yeah, I, I also have not seen it in a really long time, so I'm I'm curious to, to watch it and uh, yeah, see what we come up with. Um, I think that one's also, uh, I forget their names, the guys who did a bunch of movies, Clements and Clements and yeah, they. I think they came back for Princess on the Frog, so so that'll be fun. Be good. Be good. Good talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, our press today's on is Christian Philippic, and we're on the old interwebs at beforetheywere.live and christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at before they were live at gmail.com. Maybe you have some ideas about uh, some of the things that we talked about. I'd love to love to hear them because obviously Michael and I are still working through them ourselves. Uh, We also want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian humanist radio network where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great numbers of number of podcasts out there. You could be spending your time on. So thank you for spending this time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua altman That's a keeper.